Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and today on the show, I've got uh, the experimental noise artist uh, who uh, makes music not only under his own name, but he also plays in the band Credentials. Um, he runs the uh, the the music uh, the the noise music movement FTAM, um, which I didn't know until just now. Because thanks to Steve, who just left, stands for Fuck the Art Museum. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask some questions about that. But uh, I'm excited to talk to him about his music, about his artistry, and why he does what he does. So, Peter J. Woods, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. Good, good, good. Yeah. Um, What'd you do today, so far? What did I do today? Um, I woke up, I went to the gym, got my workout on, walked my dogs, mm -hmm. um, did some, uh, oh, I, I trimmed my beard. Very nice. You know, wanted to make yeah. sure I looked nice for this part. I need, I need to do that myself. Yeah, I was gonna say, if I had known that there was like a vibe <laughs> going on, I would have left it. But, you know, it's a nice contrast. People won't get confused between us, which yeah, is good. We're, we resemble. We know. do. Yeah. Um, read, read some uh, papers for a conference that I'm reviewing for. So, I, yeah, that was... And then... Oh, I ate a spaghettini at Fuel Cafe. Oh, okay. A wonderful sandwich Dude, brought back from the grave. That's... Very excited about this return oh, menu item. Steve actually just mentioned that, that they brought it back. It's so dope. It's the dumbest sandwich, but it's also just the most brilliant sandwich. So what I've is it had. exactly? It's literally just a pile of spaghetti and meatballs and marinara sauce oh, and cheese just in bread. Oh, wow. That's it. That's it. Oh, man. That sounds amazing. What else do you need that sounds besides amazing. that? Oh, shit. That sounds really good. Yeah, that sounds it's, really good. It's 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 very dumb. It's just like like the fact that you're putting just like carbs inside of carbs, and then if you get the veggie meatballs, it's just more carbs. Like it doesn't make any sense, but it's also just like <laughs> the most brilliant thing that I've ever eaten in my entire life. Oh, so for sure, shout yeah. out to Fuel for bringing back the classics. Shout out to Fuel. Oh, Fuel Cafe. Fuel Cafe, right on center, right here in River West. Mm -hmm. um, Man, uh, I need to dine at Fuel more often. The only time I ever actually ate at Fuel, uh, I had their like uh, it was like their like it was like an artichoke onion sandwich. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Uh, mm -hmm. It was really good, but I, I just haven't uh, dined there since, so I'll have to revisit that. Yeah, you know, um, spaghettini. Spaghettini. Highly recommended. All right. Well, you heard it on the record. I'm gonna go try the spaghettini. So. Um, so, Peter, what we talk about a Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. And uh, I've actually known you for some time, uh, you know, in, con in comparison to a lot of the people I know in the music scene because uh, you work with the Jazz Gallery um, and we used to, with J3 Studios, the, the studio I formerly worked with, we used to throw uh, showcases, art shows, music uh, over at the Jazz Gallery. Um, and uh, then I, I, I see uh, you, I see Credentials one night, uh, it was a couple months ago, it was that show with um, Sufferhead, uh, 
who else played that night? Um, if I had a hi-fi. If I had a hi-fi. Telechrome. And Telechrome. Shout out to all of them. Uh, stay tuned for Telechrome's new album coming out soon. Um, that was a that was one of the best shows I've seen all year. Um, that is, like, I mean, I love that kind of music. Like, I love noise rock and whatnot, so. Um, that was, the, but then I'm like, I know that guy. I know that guy. That's Peter. Um, and then uh, we talked a little bit uh, um, shortly thereafter, and then we talked about doing this episode. And, uh, yeah, so um, I'm excited, I guess, to start. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you... Uh, a little bit about your own musical background. When did you start playing music? When did it become a creative outlet for yourself? Um, started playing music probably second or first grade or something like that. You know, the the, the grade school offered violin lessons. Did that for a number of years, just playing, uh, you know, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and various right. other... The nursery rhymes. Oh, yeah. yeah. The classics, you know, <laughs> the, the, the good stuff. Yeah. Um, and then in fifth or sixth grade, I started playing bass guitar, and that's sort of where my interest in really taking music seriously started. Um, I mean, I just connected to that instrument in a way that I, I didn't even really think I was going to, you know, I, I didn't think that was going to happen at that point, it, and... You know, you find something that you just intrinsically just connect to, and it just makes sense. That instrument just really made sense to me. Yeah. Um, and you know, as a fifth or sixth grader, I was like, "Well, this is this is something that I want to do for a very long time." Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that that's where that started. You get into high school. You know, I played uh, uh, with a couple of people when I was like in middle school and we would like you know play in the cafeteria once a year or like the school talent show or whatever um actually two people that are still active as musicians Matt Wilson being one who I think recently moved to Nashville but he was based in Milwaukee for a really long time um and Alex Bunky who's a drummer who played I'm not sure who he's playing with right now but I know that he's been in bands around Milwaukee too um so the three of us were in a middle school band together believe it or not um, nice. Yeah, and then I get into high school, uh, and I go to my first DIY show. You know, it's uh, the early two thousands, so you know uh, that sort of emo y tough guy, hardcore thing is happening at mm -hmm. that moment. And it's also, I think, a really important time for that opportunity because, for whatever reason, just like I think there was just a lot of stuff happening in DIY and hardcore. Uh, and also like the you know kind of extending into like screamo and extending into sort of that like you know that that's much maligned sassy hardcore movement thing that happened at that time which you know not my favorite kind of music nowadays but still really brought in a lot of really young people at that point right yeah. um, that uh, and, you know just like a lot of venues uh, just a lot of places in, around Milwaukee and not necessarily in Milwaukee but around like. You know, shows happening in Maui Fall, shows happening in Shorewood, shows happening in all these different places. Um, and then I realized, like, oh, that I can be a musician and I don't have to be a professional musician. Sure. I think that was a huge revelation for me. Um, and so I started getting to the shows, realized, you know, not, not just that this is a way for me to make music, but there's a community that's around this and there's an ideology that's around this. Uh, and continuing to explore what it means to be a DIY musician and be in a DIY community. Yeah. So that happens. Um, got really invested there uh, around my senior year of high school, 2004. 
this is when Wolf Eyes gets signed to Sub Pop. So again, there's another opportunity where there's a lot of noise music that's happening and there's a lot of people that are getting really excited about it because of that sort of flashpoint that happens. Um, and there's some other, you know, sort of technologies and infrastructure that's in place for people to get involved. Um, and so, yeah, from there, it just kind of built and grew and hasn't stopped despite my best efforts. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Totally, man. Um, yeah, like, uh, where did your uh, interest in noise music start peaking? Um, largely connects to, you know, in high school, just trying to find weird and interesting music that I hadn't heard before, you know, sort of, uh, there's like the, the metal slash hardcore route of like, what's the next, like most extreme thing that I can find, Mm -hmm. but also just being kind of interested in just strange ways of making music generally, you know, uh, early on as a bass player getting really into, you know, bands like Primus that, you know, are pretty conventional by the standards of what I listen to now, but they're still just like really strange musical choices. Yeah. And hearing that and realizing that, oh yeah, like music can be like really weird. So I want to find that. Um, and I was in a band uh, my uh, junior year, I guess it would have been, uh, and not really understanding what noise was, but kind of having a sense of it and thought like, hey, we're like a, a noisy band. Uh, and Ben Turk, uh, who runs a certain theater and does all these sorts of things, he set up a, a big like one day noise show, like with like twelve bands or something like that, uh, at a spot called Darling Hall, called the Great Milwaukee Earfuck. And uh, you know, having known him very generally, uh, having seen a few of the plays that a certain theater did, I was like, oh, this is cool. Can my band jump on here? Realized immediately that we were totally out of our depths. Right, we, we were not noisy compared to what, what else was happening there. Um, but I start to see these people that are performing, and specifically uh, Alex Komet, he was in a project called Piracock at the time, uh, now he's in Climax Denial. Uh, seeing him perform and realizing, oh, this is this is a completely different way to think about music, right? And this is really exciting, because I haven't really gone in that direction or really followed that path. Um, and so, I connect with Alex, um, actually my older brother knew him in like middle school or something like that, so there was like a mutual sort of connection there, uh, but I just started hanging out and started going to the shows that he's going to and being friends with him and he started showing me all these different groups and all these different bands and things like that. Um, and yeah, and I think from there, finding that there's a lot of other people around that time that were really interested in getting into noise and making noise, and that there wasn't a lot of things happening in Milwaukee at the time. It was like, well, this is a, a space that I can start to work and start to really get something going here. And then mm-hmm. so I started, you know, running the Milwaukee Noise Fest, running Six Flags Great America, which was the basement venue I was running at the time, getting more involved in the board board, um, and then sort of becoming that sort of uh, touchstone for a lot of things that were happening in yeah. Milwaukee. Most definitely. That's that's awesome, man. Uh, similar to you, um, I've grown to find a real infatuation with unconventional ways of turning sound into, uh, you know, uh, complex textures that mm-hmm. people read as music. Um, my favorite band is Animal Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like a huge influence in, in just the way I perceive sound in general, but also Godspeed You Black Emperor is one of my favorites. Uh, even... For going even deeper into like glitch and like weird noise, like I'm thinking about like Venetian snares and Square Pusher and Mersbau and um, just boredoms. 
uh, you know, it's like, these are some of the, like, it's like, I couldn't just show this music to any one of my friends and expect them to like it. I'd really, it's like any music you have to put context to and explain it. <laughs> you're like, you're like, that's, that's a sign that like, you know, you're into some weird shit, which is a, which is a really awesome thing though. Uh, because you know, no one would consider like in, if you like historically, like when we when they talk about like what uh, was considered music like uh, uh, in historical times, like music has such a conventional formula. You know, in ancient times, music was only whatever was praising God, and then you know you go into modern times, and music is like to many people what follows conventional pop formulas. But really, like, it is so much broader. Um, it's become so much broader in the last couple decades as, you know, so many different uh, branches of, of, like, noise music, whether it's drone, whether it's post-rock, whether it's glitch, IDM, you know, uh, plunderphonics, like, you name it. Like, now people are creating such an erratically uh, constructed uh, hybrid of music that, you know, like, is it, it's just, at the end of the day, it's really fascinating. I just, I love, like, the texture, the texture is the, is my, is, like, probably the coolest part about noise music, to me, at least. Mm. Yeah, and I think that there's a couple of interesting things that you bring up in, in your response. So, like, this idea of, like, playing music and needing to explain the context of, of that music, right? And I think what's really interesting about that is for so many people, noise is this really visceral thing, right? It's not about thinking about context. It's not about thinking about meaning or it's not about thinking about understanding, but just sort of this very physical and very emotional and very immediate response to what's happening on stage. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's only one way to respond to it, but I think that's a thing that people are really drawn to, which completely eradicates the need to give a cultural context, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to give the context of like, this is how you should respond to this or this is how you should interpret this because the process of interpreting is happening in that moment as people are having this affective response. Um, so there's something I think really fascinating about that, that the constant need to explain a type of music that is purposely defined or designed by a lot of people to not need any sort of explanation. Yeah. That's really I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is thinking about sort of the history of music and thinking about um, how noise music fits into that and, and sort of the relation that happens there. Um, and I think you're spot on with thinking, especially with thinking about like things like texture, thinking about, um, about dynamic, about physicality, about sort of all these other uh, ideas that have been completely removed from the vast majority of Western music, right? If you, especially if you look at things like just sheet music, there's no place in sheet music for you to write in texture. Yeah, there's pitch, there is rhythm, there is tempo, tempo, and structure, and all these things. And and sheet music does a really good job of communicating those those ideas. Mm -hmm. yeah. But because it does that, it values certain things and doesn't value other things. Things like texture, things like gesture, thing, you know, sort of these other ideas. Um, and so I think what's powerful about this is recognizing sort of the tension that noise brings to this idea in that music by its nature is a cultural invention, right? 
music doesn't exist outside of culture. It doesn't exist outside, outside of society. You know, it, that it doesn't make sense right. uh, in that context. Yeah. You have sound, you can have pleasing sound, you can have aesthetic sound, but the idea of like music being this purposely designed product or this purposely designed artifact, like that doesn't make sense outside of, outside of a culture. Um, and so noise is constantly uh, in this tension of trying to break from those cultural practices, but also being completely tied to those cultural practices at the same time, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it, the idea of noise challenging a context relies on the fact that a context exists in the first place, mm -hmm. um, which I, I, I love that, that tension that exists, right? And I love that there is an inevitable failure in this idea of like trying to break from a context, but in that failure, you come up with something that's really exciting and really yeah. interesting too. Yeah, totally. Uh, especially visually too. I love the visual component that uh, often gets incorporated into noise music. Like you have different, uh, depending on the band or the artist, you know, they're experimenting with color, you know, they're experimenting with tape loops, you know, live, like video mixing and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that so much um, because it becomes a, becomes not only just auditory, not only just textural, contextual as you're as we're talking about, but it becomes just fully sensory. Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, music wasn't even like, you know, like, like you said, like you know, sheet music. It's like it can only evoke so much um, until like you're bringing like an actual like uh, visual component. Uh, that brings like imagery to you know the to what you're what you're hearing and just like how the music is communicating to you. So um, on that note, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you um, began uh, just you know getting into the noise scene yourself out here in Milwaukee, and I guess how FTAM started and everything like that. Yeah. Um... So I started playing noise shows in fall of 2009. Is I think that was when my first show happened. Ten um, years. Yeah. Um, no, that's wrong. It was 2005. So. Oh, uh, 14 years. 14 years. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I started playing around then, um, and again, I just got really excited. You know, finding out that this type of music existed, uh, this type of music was happening in Milwaukee, um, especially with people like Alex Tumet, especially with people like uh, the Schauitzer brothers who are in Mildew, and I start going to these shows, seeing what people are doing, getting involved um, as an audience member, uh, start to get on the message boards at the time, so uh, there's a label called Tronics that had a really wide-reaching message board that, you know, everybody was posting on. And it wasn't just, like, people that were fans. It was people that were actually making this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Thurston Moore would show up every once in a while yeah. and post something and stuff like that. Sort of, the, like, that level versus, like, me who had, like, had gone to three shows and was excited about this. Um, and go to enough shows and realize that I have the gear that I can start doing this stuff, right? I've got a bunch of guitar pedals, and I can run that into itself and create a feedback loop, and that gives me an instrument to play with. Uh, and so, yeah, I started, you know, played a couple shows around Milwaukee, uh, played a show down in St. Louis. There was the long-standing venue of the Lampard Center um, that was, uh, had its own noise festival down there. So went down and played there a couple of times um, and just started getting more and more involved. 
uh, and also realizing that I had a couple of years under my belt of setting up shows, so I knew how to do it, right? And I knew places that I could go. Um, and then realizing that other people in Milwaukee there didn't want to set up shows or just didn't do it that frequently, so this was a thing that I could start doing, right? I could start reaching out to artists and bring them into Milwaukee and things like that. Um, so that sort of got the show setting up thing going, which then led into this um, practice of setting up the Milwaukee Noise Fest, right? Uh, realizing there was enough people in Milwaukee that we could all just get together, let's all play a big show, um, and let this sort of be a lightning rod for, you know, people that are interested in this kind of music in Milwaukee. Yeah. It makes, you know, the first one, I think, was two shows with four acts on it, and that's just like, that's just two shows, right? You could have put them on, you put them on one show and just like a, a real big show. It's not yeah. a festival, mm -hmm. but just saying, calling it a festival and saying it was for Milwaukee, that got the people excited about it and gives people like a touchstone to work off of. Um, yeah. So I started doing that. Um, and then from there, realized that I wanted to keep getting involved and diving deeper into this. And that's when FTAM starts, uh, both as a way to sort of, you know, kind of collect everything that I was doing with shows and curating shows under sort of one umbrella so people knew that, like, this, these were the things that I was doing. Um, and then also as a, as a way for people that might be excited about this kind of music to, you know, see that tag and go, oh, that's a noise show. This might be something that I want, yeah. want to go and do. Um, I don't know if that actually has worked or not over the past, you know, 10 or so years I've been doing this, but, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, and that sort of just naturally led into wanting to do a label. I just wanted to showcase folks from Milwaukee that were doing cool stuff, and I was starting to really tour around that time, so this was a way for me to take that music and bring it out to people that weren't in Milwaukee or didn't necessarily have access to uh, people around here that weren't traveling as much as I was. And Yeah, from there it's just kind of kept growing and moving and developing into what it is today. So why is it Fuck the Art Museum? So that was right around the time that uh, the Milwaukee Art Museum was building that large extension that was there, you know, the giant wings, the Calatrava, and things yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. And the entire time that was getting put up, I was it was extremely frustrating because it also coincided with Milwaukee trying to shift its identity away from being an industrial city to having like a different identity, like being this cultural space or being this place that is, uh, you know, it's, it's it's not about it's not about factories, but it's about uh, different types of of work, right? Um, and part of that was to say that like this is a cultural center as a place that uh, is a space to uh, that has this like thriving art scene or whatever. The reason I found that extremely frustrating is because the Milwaukee Art Museum took millions of dollars gave it to an artist that doesn't live in Milwaukee to come and design the art building that's going to house a bunch of art from people that aren't from Milwaukee. So there was nothing about that building and the construction of that building that had anything to do with Milwaukee's art scene. It had to do with like putting art in Milwaukee, sure, but like how does that cultivate the actual art that's happening in the city. Yeah. How does it actually cultivate the community of people that are creating things and doing things? It hijacks it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, so that was like the very specific idea that was there. And, uh, you know, sort of branching out from like the specific museum to think about art museums in general um, is that 
this notion of building a cultural center by taking art from other places and just putting it into a room. I wanted to very specifically create a label that was uh, antagonistic of, of that idea and counter to that idea by specifically focusing on artists from Milwaukee and making that the primary source of what I was doing mm -hmm. as an artist. And thinking about, yeah, so there's gonna be touring artists that I'm gonna show, set up shows for, but that's always gonna be paired with other artists from Milwaukee mm -hmm. and, and develop a local scene both through the shows I was setting up but also through the label. Um, and that's that to me I think was really powerful as a way to, you know, kind of thinking against that model that art museums uh, are often focusing on because uh, in doing that, art museums often produce or reproduce the idea that people can't make valuable work, right? Your work is not going to show up in the art museum, therefore your work is not valuable. Yeah. To which I say, fuck that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by creating some sort of infrastructure that people could share this work and to really value the work of people that are, you know, my friends, that are part of my community, that are part of my neighborhood, that are, uh, you know, around the block from me, that creates a new way of thinking about art that, yeah, anyone can actually do this, right? Mm -hmm. That idea that, like, that the fundamental idea behind DIY ethics that gets lost as soon as you move towards any sort of structure that's looking at uh, d developing in that way. Um, yeah. yeah, and so then it just sort of stuck. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I uh, have as strong of feelings about the Milwaukee Art Museum as I did back when I was a, you know, an angry 20 year old, but, uh, <laughs> I get that, yeah. you know, people grow up. Yeah, I mean, you're speaking to the creative gentrification that seems that seemed to have been happening, you mm. know, like bringing in something from outside into our own space yeah. and sort of like it's or creative appropriation, even mm -hmm. I would say. Um, no, yeah, but I mean that makes sense. I had no idea. I mean, I haven't even been in the city for that long, so I didn't even know that was uh, you know a uh, an issue. Um, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's an issue beyond like my own. Personal ramblings. Like yeah. I don't. I don't know if anybody actually agreed with me, but I don't know. I made for a good enough label name, so it kind of yeah. ran with it. Most certainly. Um, so what's uh, so with that? Uh, with the music that you like to make, uh, what's uh, what equipment do you use? Uh, what do I use? Um, I've got a handful of devices that have kind of become standards for me. Um, when I is, you know, with you know, playing in credentials and things like that. It's pretty standard uh, equipment that anybody can kind of use. It's a, a bass and an amp and a couple of pedals. Um, when I'm making noise music, uh, I've got a large pile of uh, objects that I've found either in the trash or at thrift stores or, uh, you, you know, that have been gifted to me, um, all of which are just sort of pieces of scrap metal that are, are shaped in different ways that have different sonic qualities to them. So I do use a lot of those. Um, I've got a couple of synthesizers, some pretty simple ones. Uh, a few of them are uh, made by Dan Sherrill, who's another awesome local artist who performs as Dan, Dan of Earth. Um, and he had a series that uh, he's still working on that he built synthesizers inside of hollowed out Bibles called Bibletrons. So I've got three of those. Those I use quite often. Um, and yeah, other than that, just, uh, you know, some contact mics, some other types of microphones that I can record vocal sounds or sort of field recordings and things like that. Yeah. Um, anything that kind of strikes my fancy of things to use, I've used 
percussion instruments like drums and things like that in different ways. Um, yeah, and sort of just assembling those collage style together. Um, the thing I've been doing recently with my solo work is I've been getting more into film um, and incorporating that into the live performance as well uh, as a way not just to have like visuals in the background but as a performer how am I interacting with with film and how does that drive the structure of, of the things that I'm using um, so maybe not you know uh, in terms of the sonic qualities of what I'm doing uh, but it's definitely had an impact on sort of how I'm thinking about music right. and writing music yeah totally for sure um, so yeah you uh, you were um, I remember FTAM, FTAM was a part of, uh, um, you, you held an event at Company Brewing uh, uh, where John Mueller was there. Hmm? Uh, John Mueller had one of the, it's one of the most unique shows that I've uh, seen. Um, yeah, he had like four, was it like four symbols around him? And he was, I know that like I was reading a little bit about him after the fact and seeing that he uh, is trying to bring like uh, the percussion uh, into like the f focal point of what becomes like the piece so yeah like i guess tell me a little bit about how you've made that relationship and i guess you know yeah like yeah um yeah i mean i've known john for almost as long as he's been setting up shows especially noise shows um because he's a, he you know lived in milwaukee for years and years yeah. and years mm -hmm. and um he was in volcano choir I yeah believe. yeah in volcano choir he was in pele um and yeah when i started setting up noise shows he was also um you know, around Milwaukee and playing, you know, experimental music at the time. Uh, so I just asked him to play shows and he said, sure. Um, and so I've just known him for years and he's played the Milwaukee Noise Fest a bunch. Uh, he came down for that show. He was part of the workshop series that I run. Um, yeah. And so I've just known him for, awesome. for a really long time and always really appreciated his approach and the ways that he thinks about, uh, making music in um, powerful and unconventional ways. Most definitely. Shout out to John Mueller. Thanks, um, John. <laughs> You're a gem, buddy. What a gem. <laughs> um, most definitely. Um, so, uh, in that, on that note, uh, yeah, I guess, like, uh, would you say, um, so being, uh, in, you know, uh, at the forefront of Milwaukee's noise scene, uh, how do you feel about Milwaukee's noise scene right now? Do you feel like there's a lot of great great momentum in it like how do you feel about it going into 2020 um yeah going into 2020 i don't think it has a shot at winning the election but i think other than that it's pretty good um, <laughs> right yeah. i mean i can speak to it from my experience uh you know sort of starting in the early 2000s until now um i mean the noise scene in milwaukee has exi has existed before then too you go back to the 80s when you have groups like fuckface and boiter car uh in uh, Shrill Tower and sort of all these other groups that are around Milwaukee sort of tying into the industrial tradition. I think there's some really powerful stuff then, but I, I mean, I know folks from that scene, uh, but, it, you know, I thought there, it seemed like there was a break after that, that I couldn't really follow what happened after that. But in, yeah, in the early 2000s, that's when a lot of people started getting really involved in noise, getting really excited about it, wanting to make it. Um, and a whole bunch of artists kind of came up all at the same time. And what I thought was really interesting about that is that aesthetically, it all sounded very similar to each other, right? Everybody was doing this like really loud, harsh, uh, you know, distorted contact mic, run through a metal zone approach mm -hmm. to stuff that was happening. And there was a little bit of diversity that started to move out of that. But I think everybody was sort of this like loud, 
overpowering sort of saturated sound um which was cool that like milwaukee had like a, this really strong identity and i think that some of the artists that were around at that time were making really good work um and then for a while it sort of died off right there wasn't a whole lot of people that were coming out to shows the people that were around at that time stopped doing stuff they weren't playing as much anymore a lot of them left milwaukee and you know are kind of scattered uh around now but I think in the past, I'd say maybe five or so years, it seems to have really uh, picked up with a lot of people. Um, you know, there's a few stragglers from that time, myself included, that are around, but a lot of new people have started to come up and do some really interesting things. And what's really interesting about it is that aesthetically, it's extremely diverse, right? Yeah. People don't sound like each other right now, which I think is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that being that there isn't this like concentrated. Uh, uh, gateway into Milwaukee's noise scene, right? It's not everybody is learning about this from going to DIY shows and then going to noise shows and hearing all this harsh stuff that I'm, that I being the one person that's really booking stuff in Milwaukee is really interested in at the time. Um, and so it kind of replicates and people start to make similar stuff. But now there's like all these different avenues that people are coming from, right? You know, there's the sort of harsh noise scene, that sort of crew of people that are doing stuff. But then you have things like, you know, like look at what Amanda's doing at UWM uh, and bringing in experimental music in that way, which is getting people uh, and, you know, pushing people to kind of go out and see what's in the community. So then there's a, those people get started, start to get involved in noise music, but have this completely different background. So they're approaching it in a completely different way. Um, and then you have the entire free improvisation community that's like also pushing people in this direction and they're coming at it from a completely different direction. They have a completely different set of ideas behind what they're doing as well. Um, and, you know, sort of these other different spaces that people are coming from in all these different directions, it leads to this really vibrant and diverse group of people, um, which has been really exciting. And I think there's a lot of people that are just excited about what's happening right now. There's a lot of support. Um, you know, these sort of sorts of things always have this like uh, ebb and flow. And I think we're at this point where it's like really exciting. You know, eventually that's gonna die off as it always does. But for, I think for the moment, it's really uh, an exciting time to be listening to making noise in Milwaukee. Uh, and part of that too is like as a curator or somebody that sets up shows, that's also really exciting too is that like i have this huge palette of sounds and people approaches to work with like that's great and that like makes my job as a show promoter uh a lot more exciting too so what are some uh noise artists uh in and the category that you feel like people should know um i mean i guess kind of go through and just list every single noise artist in milwaukee and it'll be uh i could just do that for the rest of the day um I mean, you know, I've got my favorites, you know, Dan Sherrill, Dan of Earth, I mentioned him before, Neil Gravender of Lucky Bone, um, you know, I'm kind of biased because they're uh, part of my group, Phone Neil Trio, but I think they're both doing really excellent things. Um, you got the Smudge, who does really awesome sort of collage-based sample work. You have, you know, new people like Eli Smith. Shout out to Eli. Armillaria. Yeah. Saw the interview. Yeah, they're great guy. Great. great. Shout out to Lanin as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you know Eli's doing really interesting things with uh, bringing Max MSP, doing the guitar work stuff. Uh, Amanda's work is incredible. Uh, I think her her stuff is always just like mind-blowingly good. Um, yeah, you know the old staples, Mildew, Slow Owls, Mike's still around doing stuff. Yeah. He's always great. Uh, uh, Citizen 213, old school, harsh noise dude. It's been around here forever. Um, he's great. So yeah, it's just totally. 
a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, more uh, more ambient, but also big shout out to Apollo Vermouth. Yep. You know, one of the best, Elisa. Um, it's one of my favorite artists out here. Uh, yeah, like uh, also big ups to Nausicaa. Mm. Matt Glassell uh, does a lot of great work for the experimental, indie, noise, like punk, you name it. Uh, Matt does a lot of great DIY work out here in River West. Um, yeah, it seems like it's in pretty good hands right now. Um, I, yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Um, but also Cairns. Can't forget about Cairns. Forget about Cairns. Yes. Yeah, it's also cool too that I'm not the only one setting up shows, um, which is good because I'm going to take a hiatus from setting up shows for a minute. Uh, so I know that shows are still going to happen. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so Good. Good. Good job. Go team. Keep doing it. Go Milwaukee. Go 4 and 4. Uh, All right, Pete. Um, so real quick, uh, tell me what's going on with credentials. Uh, so we just recorded a bunch of stuff in the studio, uh, Hollow Street with Shane. Uh, got a good chunk of recording done. Uh, not quite finished with everything yet. We got some work to do still, but Cat's uh, having a baby, so shout out to Cat. Yeah, shout out to Cat. Congrats. Good job, Cat. Good job on that baby. Great job, baby. Good, great job, baby. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we're not going to be doing much for a while. Probably going to come back in the spring. Hopefully, have a finished record at some point. Uh, play some shows and go from there. Right. Fantastic. Very, yeah. good, very good to hear. Uh, Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, Peter, tell me what keeps you up at night. What keeps me up at night? Um, having to get a new job in the fall because I'm graduating from this program and I don't know what my life is going to be. So I just don't know what's going to happen in the next six months of my life. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> right, right. Uh, a lot, a lot, uh, for, a lot to be. Um, Weird to put expectations anywhere. I feel yeah. that. What puts you to sleep, though? Uh, being really tired. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you work pretty. It sounds like you work pretty hard, man. Yeah, I do some things. I do some. Things. A thing or two or yeah. three. This iPod, this like iPhone format, is like really weird. I like wanna wanna play with this. Like, I wanna like yeah. Let's just, oh, wow. This. Is, oh yeah, this I like is, yeah. This, Thanks for being on the show, Pete. Thanks. <laughs> uh, right here. Great. Uh, uh, definitely check out uh, FTAM uh, and the wonderful work that uh, he's doing here with uh, the uh, with the noise scene, with the experimental scene, the improv scene um, as he navigates around my head right here. Um, and uh, stay tuned for 2020. Uh, also, you do. Uh, so I know you're keeping a. You're taking. You said you're taking a break from the 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 curating. Um, yeah. You, what? Tell me. Uh, what What do people need to know about Jazz Gallery? Uh. There's always awesome shows there, and you should go to it all the time. Uh, also, another shout-out to Eli. Big shout-out to Eli. We also love you. shout-out to Rick Oldman, because they're taking over uh, in my stead, because I'm stepping down as the person on, that runs the music committee, and they're going to take over, and they're going to do an awesome job. So, and you recently also posted about uh, Jazz Gallery Needs Volunteers. Yeah, Jazz Gallery Needs Volunteers. Uh, we need people that can like open the door and like run stuff. Uh, and also like kind of run sound and collect money and all that stuff. It's not a hard job. There's like three people that do it right now and we're all tired. Uh, and we get way more shows, uh, submitted to us than we can actually take on. And we'd like to put on as many shows as possible. So, uh, volunteer. Do it. Uh, sounds simple enough. Thank you for watching Mr. Nice Guy. Check out Milwaukee Noise Scene. We'll see you next time. Three, four.